Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 221 of the Ask the Coach show, where Ping Skills helps you improve your table tennis. If you deal two cards from a single deck of 52 cards, you have a 1 in 221 chance of getting two aces. Today, we present the drill of the week, talk about coping with distractions, tactics for playing a left-hander, improving your forehand smash, table tennis balls, and preparing for a tournament. Yes, it is a big show. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, Super Coach Alois Rosario is here with me to answer your questions. Welcome, Alois. Morning, Jeffrey. Yes, and another big show coming up. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, interestingly, Alois, that little number fact with probability of getting aces made me think of something we were discussing at work yesterday called the Monty Hall problem. Have you ever heard of this Monty Hall problem? Never heard of it. Monty Hall. No. Yeah, it was based on this game show uh, maybe in the UK or the US. I'm not sure. Let me see. Is it? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think in America. And it was called Let's Make a Deal. And basically the contestant got three doors to choose from. Behind one door there was a car and behind two doors there were goats. And so what would happen is the contestant would pick one of those doors and then the host would say, all right, well, I'm going to tell you that another door has a goat behind it. So he opens that door and shows the goat. And then he says to the contestant, do you want to stick with your original um, choice or do you want to switch now? What do you do? Well, I, I would stay with my original choice. There no. you go. And if you stay with your original choice, you've only got a 33% chance of winning. If you switch, you've got a 66% chance of winning. Very strange, seems counterintuitive. You don't believe me, do you? And it was more interesting... Because a lot of mathematicians wrote in and said, nah, because some guy actually said that, wrote in a paper and told everyone you need to switch. And all these mathematicians were going, no, that's not right. It's 50-50 surely because it's a one in two chance. But, um, you know, they simulated it over and over. It's actually 66% chance. Let me put it a different way, Alice. Say you pick one door and then I yeah. say to you, do you want to stick with your original choice or do you want to switch and have both of these other doors. Do you now switch? Mm. You can stick with your... I haven't opened any doors. Uh, you just okay. You say, okay. I've got this one, or do you switch and take both these doors? Okay. All right. So now you've really got two options rather than one. Yes. Yes, it's a bit weird, but anyway, we'll put a link in the show notes to the Monty Hall problem. I just thought it was fascinating. It just doesn't seem right, but it is. Okay. Monty Hall, get on to him. Yeah, get on to him, absolutely. All right, let's let's find out what happened on this day, the um, 10th of February, Alloys, in history. Yes, so um, a famous birthday, well, especially in Australia, of one Greg Norman in 1955. So Greg Norman, a famous golfer, number one in the world for a very long time and uh, and really um, uh, 
I suppose through the golf world into uh, into a spin because of the number of wins he was having. You know, up till then, um, you know, players used to win a tournament every now and then, but Norman in in that era just really uh, was winning tournament after tournament. So, uh, so yes, Greg Norman's birthday, um, born in nineteen fifty five, so sixty one years old. Wow, we that's uh, happy birthday, Greg Norman. Yeah, and and sadly, a, a famous death, Shirley Temple, in t- uh, two thousand and fourteen. So yeah, the, the famous Shirley Temple. There you go. All right. Well, let's get stuck into the table tennis. It is uh, Wednesday, which means we're doing drill of the week. What have you got for us today? Yeah. So an interesting one um, this week. So this one is what I call serve, return, and cat and catch. Now, sounds a bit silly, but why would you catch the ball? Um, so what we do is we do a serve. We get your opponent to make the best return they can, and then you have to do a two-handed catch. So not a one-handed catch. So you're not allowed to catch it with one hand. You've got to do a two-handed catch. So why, you may ask? Because... By doing a two-handed catch, it ensures that you are moving into position to be able to, um, if you were going to hit the ball, to be able to hit the ball properly. If if you're catching the ball with two hands, then you can also play a shot from that position. So um, it's a a good fun activity uh, to do as well uh, for players and and for younger players too. So uh, by doing the serve, return and two-handed catch, it just gets you to start to think about or feel the movement so that you can make that uh, make that position for the next ball. Wow, that sounds like a really fun drill. I must say I've never tried that myself, but once you explain it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I like it a lot. Yeah. Ping skillers, get out there and give it a try. Yeah, so it also makes you start to think about your serve. So if you just do an, a flat, simple serve, it's going to be really difficult to catch that next ball because the other person is going to smack the ball um, fast at you. So by starting to think about um, making a more effective serve and making it harder for the opponent to uh, to hit the ball hard, then you start to be able to make easier two-handed catches as well. So, yeah, right. really interesting idea. Now, what if the opponent tries to serve the ball a bit shorter? Oh, sorry, return the ball a bit shorter. That's good. Yep, that's good because that's easy to make a two-handed catch. Ah, got it. Like it a lot. Excellent. All right. Get out there, try serve, return, catch, and let us know if it's a lot of fun and if it helps you uh, improve your footwork after your service. Don't forget two-handed catch. Two-handed catch. Yes, that really is the key, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Now, uh, yesterday's Ping Skillers question of the day was, how do you block out distractions when you are playing? What tactics did people use? Yeah, so, uh, well, Thad said, pay no attention to distractions. Hmm? Uh, Naranjan said, take a break. That can work too, um, unless you're in the middle of a match and it's difficult to to, um, to take too many breaks. But, um, yeah, we'll come back to that. Um, so, uh, Kim uh, said, just focus on the ball and your movements. You have no time for distractions, which is good, which is good. Um, uh, John said, easy, just focus. Hmm. 
Um, Mark said, very hard sometimes. And Billu has po actually posted a picture on um, on the answer there and it shows, shows him with uh, a playing with about, you know, 30, 40 people standing in the background a couple of metres behind him uh, watching. So he said, I, I am used to it now. So uh, that can be also good, you know, get into situations often where you where you are in um, in that um, situation where you're being distracted, where there's lots of things happening around you. Um, so, yeah. But um, I think, you know, for me, the, the, the important things are um, are to just make sure that you are focused on what you are doing um, in that particular point and in that and at that particular time. So if you can occupy your mind with um, your tactics, uh, things that you're trying to do during the rally, then the distractions don't become as much. So um, on um, on the blog, um, Marson talks about um, the uh, distractions that he saw at the German Open. So he said that, um, you know, he was he was watching there and he, he said it was a bit of a cultural shock at the German Open because, it, you know, the players playing on two different tables, um, the Germans playing on one table and the crowd going absolutely berserk. And on the other table, you know, players like Fang Bo and uh, Chun Tin Wong and Zhang Zikur are playing. And in the middle of their rally, often the crowd goes starts to go berserk. So... You know, but those players are so uh, used to that situation that they almost don't notice um, when that's happening. Um, they're also focusing on the ball, focusing on what they're doing at that particular time, and they're so motivated to to win that point that everything else becomes totally superfluous. So, um, yeah, so it it does it does come with a bit of practice as well. Yeah, the the mind is a amazing piece of uh, machinery alloys <laughs> maybe I need a better word for it but I remember just as a side example um, when I was younger I used to get a lot of hay fever and I'd be sneezing all the time and so I'd be sneezing and sneezing but then as soon as I went out and played a match the, the sneezing would stop but if I was just sitting back off the table after the match I'd keep sneezing and you know, I guess it's just because you're focusing on the ball and your mind's occupied and, um, yeah, it's just a powerful tool. Yeah, and um, the other example um, is I remember seeing a, a little video of um, a basketball game and then um, something else happening, a distraction happening. Um, so I might try to find that and put a link in the show notes as well. Um, also another really good example of what happens when you're, your mind does start to focus on one thing and everything else becomes, um, yeah, or you just don't notice it. And, you know, you find in, in, in a club situation, for example, if, um, if you're in a quiet hall and there's no noise around you and then suddenly someone, you know, yells or screams, um, it can be distracting. You sort of, you know, your, your attention goes away from the ball, but, once, when you're in a noisy hall like um, like they are at the German Open, you just don't notice it. And and I've been in that situation where playing in a bigger stadium, and uh, you know there's this crowd's going berserk, and you really don't notice it anymore. You know, uh, you might notice it the first time you play in that situation, but after a while, um, it just becomes part of uh, part of the background. 
Yeah, interesting. So it seems like focus is the key. How do you go about practicing that? Yeah. So the, what, I mean, what we talk about a lot with um, with your pre point routine and focusing on the ball and just having that that um, routine, that method that you go through all the time, and that's something that you need to do in the practice situation too. So that's why you know it's so important that in your practice. Um, situation that you are using your concentration and focusing as much as you can and not just going through the motions of hitting table tennis balls and doing some footwork and whatever you know just really try to immerse yourself more in um in the uh, in the training session especially so when you're doing your um, match drills for example don't just you know pick up the ball bang serve and do your drill before every point try to go through your normal match uh, pre-point routine. So if you're not sure what that is, everyone will have a bit of a comfortable routine that they do during um, a match. If you watch all the top players, you'll see um, something that they tend to do uh, before every point. You know, um, Samsonov might, um, before he returns, he'll bounce up and down and, and shuffle his feet a little bit. Um, before he serves, he's got a little routine that he does. Um, as well. So have a look at those top players and try to identify their pre-point routine. And then try to think about what your pre-point routine is. So you you probably have one when you're playing well um, that you don't even notice, but then try to emulate that in the practice situation as well. So when you're playing in the match, Think about, okay, what do I do? Some people will bounce the ball two times or three times. They might bounce the ball on the table. They might you know, wipe their hands. They might go up and wipe their hand on the table. Whatever it is for you, start to identify that and then bring that into your practice situation as well. So by doing that, um, you are starting to immerse yourself in the rally. And um, I forget who said it on, on our Facebook page, but you there's no time for distraction. So because your your mind is thinking about, okay, so now I'm bouncing the ball and now I'm doing this and now I'm doing that, um, you just get into that routine and, um, yeah, you don't have time to think about, oh, what's going on there or what's going on there? And I'll um, said I'll, I'll, I will uh, give you the, uh, the uh, example of that basketball game and the distraction and, um, and you'll see what I mean there too. Okay, look forward to that. And I'll put a link in the show notes to our masterclass on the pre-point routine for our premium members. All right. Um, Today's Ping Skillers question of the day is, what are your ideal playing conditions? So jump onto our Facebook page, facebook.com slash pingskills, or go to our Ping Skills website and go to the blog and let us know what are your ideal playing conditions. And Alois, we're nearly at 10,000 likes on our Facebook page. Um, if you haven't liked us on Facebook, go like us, tell your friends, get us up to 10,000. Appreciate your support. All right, now time for some questions. Um, firstly, Spam20, Google username, has jumped on and asked a question live on the show. Thank you. He says, how should I play against a left-handed player and I'm a right-handed player? I'm uh, not telling you because I'm left-handed, Spam20. No. Um, so it, the first thing is that 
Um, rather than just looking at their left-handedness, look at the player and look at their strengths and weaknesses like you would if you walked up to the table and you're playing against a right-hander. So left-handers, believe it or not, do have weaknesses too. But you need to start to think about, okay, is their backhand stronger or is their forehand stronger? Um, is it better uh, or do they like the ball going away from them or into them? Um, do you like? Do they like backspin or do they like topspin? So you need to examine all of those things like you would with a right-handed player. Probably the one thing uh, with a left-handed player that you can start to think about is if you're right-handed, is utilising that angle from your backhand wide out to the forehand corner um, to, to expose that forehand corner of uh, the left-handed player. But, you know, really there's, there's no real simple answer to how do you play against a left-hander. It's how do you play against that particular left-hander that you really need to examine. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. I guess where some right-handers um, might feel a bit awkward is just the service because it's coming from a different angle than normal because they, often they surf from the other side of the table. So there's little things like that. But, yeah, tactically, you're right. You've got to find their weaknesses and just play to those weaknesses. Yeah, and it's it's getting it's getting used to that ball coming from those different positions, like like you said, Jeff. So, you know, the more opportunity you get to play against a left hander or to practice against a left hander, take it, you know, and and maybe go out and hunt it and go and go and try and find um, left handers to practice against, just so that you can see that ball and and um, and practice against that ball coming from that different direction, especially with the serves, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yep, good advice. And uh, Spam20 also asks, what rubbers and blades do you use? Dipping skills touch. And at the moment, I've got Raxa X on my bat. So, um, yeah, um, that's what I use. But the ping skills touch, very nice bat, nice control. Get onto very, it. Very nice. Yep, I've got the ping skills touch and I've got XEM Vega Pro on at the moment. All right, now Invincible has asked a question. I like that username. Invincible says, how do you smash or do a topspin when your opponent served with a spin on the ball? I usually hit the net when I try this. Uh, Invincible, sounds like you're not so invincible. Um, yes, but yes, re- returning returning spin serves is, is a really tricky part of the game. So the first thing is to make sure that you... Um, see what type of spins on the ball or try to recognize what type of spins on the ball. Um, the, the safest stroke is to make a top spin stroke because by putting some top spin on the ball, you're able to put, hit the ball a bit higher and you've got a much better margin over the net and dipping onto the table. So if you add that top spin, then it's going to be a safer shot. If you try to hit the ball too hard, you've got one direct line and You've got to get that line absolutely perfect. So work on your topspin. Think about brushing the ball really finely and you'll need to adjust slightly to um, the type of spin, whether they put backspin or topspin or different types of sidespin on the ball as well. Mm, yes, good answer. All right, hopefully that helps you out. Uh, invincible. Next up is a question from Jimmy who says, my forehand topspin smash keeps missing the table a little too long. What is the best way to consistently shorten the distance on this shot? 
When a ball is hit with a good speed to you, how exactly can you deaden the ball so it doesn't go out? Yep. So there are yeah, two questions there. So that, that first one, if that um, top spin is, isn't landing, often the key is to make sure that you're just generating a bit more spin, so brushing the ball a bit more. If you're hitting the ball too flat on the top spin, um, again, as we just talked about in the previous question, your margin for error isn't going to be so big. So the ball's going to go straight rather than dipping onto the table. So soften the stroke a little bit, get a little bit more spin, and that will get better dip on the ball to help that land onto the table. And the second part of your question, um, if they're hitting fast at you, how do you soften um, that, uh, that block? So the first thing is in your fingers. So make sure that you're um, keeping that nice and relaxed in your fingers. The harder you grip the bat, the more solid that bat's going to be, and it's going to be like a brick wall and bounce off really fast. So by softening the bat or softening the grip, then uh, you're going to absorb some of that um, pace on the ball rather than hitting straight out um, from there. So nice and soft with your hand um, will really help when they're playing a lot faster at you. Yeah, good advice. Um, and we'll put some links in the show notes to the forehand topspin video and the backhand block video, which will go through those exact questions. So take a look at those and let us know if it helps. Next question is from Hassan, who says, what is the duration of an average table tennis ball? I noticed that there's some sort of powder covering most of the balls that can't be removed by rubbing it with the hands. However, this powder... Does it ensure a great amount of spin? Yeah, not really. So, um, so Hassan, when when the ball's new, it'll have um, a white powdery um, substance on it. So, um, when when it has that powder, it's actually you get less spin because you tend to get um, a fr- uh, less friction between between the ball and the bat because of the powder. But if you can um, uh, wash that ball. I just put it in a little bit of water. I used, to, I remember the the Swedes especially. Um, and I remember this when I was young. They used to just put the ball into their mouth and um, and pop it out before they played with it. I remember Johansson, Shelley Johansson, and Stellan Bengston doing it. Um, so they used to do that just to get that powder off the ball. But the ball, the ball doesn't really wear out that much. You know, like at the start, it may have a little bit, bit more grip uh, because there's just slight, um, I suppose, very minute indentations in the ball that help with the grip. But And after a while or after a long time, they start to get a bit shiny. So the, the spin will um, decrease slightly, but really it's not that significant. You know, so, um, so table tennis balls last until they crack or someone stands on them, basically. Um, and that can be, um, you know, it can be six months um, with some balls. Of course, there is the, uh, the new plastic ball that we've found, you know, does, ha- has tended to break a lot easier. But now I think, again, even those are getting better and, um, and they're lasting a lot longer now. So, yeah, so keep using a table tennis ball until you see that crack in it or someone squishes it. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right. Um, next question from Joshua. He says, hi, guys. I have a tournament and I don't think I'm going to play well because of my forehand. It's not consistent, in my opinion, and my backhand's much better than my forehand. 
Please help me where my forehand works. It's really good like my backhand. Do you have any advice for me? Yeah. So firstly, um, you're, st- you're starting to focus too much on um, the tournament and the the problems you, you might have. You know, when you're, when you're coming into a tournament, it's important to focus on your strengths as well and especially your strengths because that's going what's going, what, what is going to win you points. So... You know, a few days before a tournament, you really don't have a lot of time to fix um, a lot of problems. It's about, okay, so how do I win points? So during the tournament, I want to start to use my backhand more. I want to um, control the ball with my backhand and outplace the other person or whatever it is. And you need to start to find ways that you're going to implement that into the match situation. So don't, I mean, don't ignore your forehand, but don't, start to focus on, okay, oh, I know my forehand's bad. The the only thing that's going to happen there is that when you get into the tournament, you're going to have all these negative thoughts about your forehand. As soon as the ball comes to your forehand side, all you're thinking about is, oh, my goodness, my forehand's so bad. And that will just lead to a spiral downwards and you will start to make more mistakes. So focus on the things that you do well, especially now in those days before the tournament and work out how you're going to win points, not how you're going to lose them. Great advice, yeah. And I guess it's tricky if you're not used to playing tournaments um, and it can be a bit daunting. So I guess people do start to fret a little bit. But, yeah, they're they're great calming words, Alois. And, you know, I feel more excited for Joshua already. (laughs) Go, Joshua. I feel like his odds of of doing well have just gone up. Perfect. 66%. (laughs) <laughs> exactly, the 66%. Choose now, the other door, Joshua. Choose, choose the, the other door. door. That's all you have to do. One other way of thinking about that Monty Hall problem, Alo. Say I are said, we back to Monty Hall, are we? Sorry. Yeah, just quickly. Okay. Say there was a billion doors and you chose, and only there's a car behind one and goes behind the rest. You choose one door, right? Yep. And then I say, all right, you can stick with that door or I'm going to open up one billion minus two of those doors and leave just one extra door open. Do you want to switch now? Just a different way of thinking about it. What's the chance that your one in a billion one was right and then I've just opened up all the others and said it's either the one in a billion that you had or there's this other one there that might be right? Uh, mm, too confusing. Uh, Let's stick with table yeah, tennis. It's, yeah. Um. <laughs> Not, I'm still not convinced. I need to see it. I need to see it. Okay. Invincible says, how do you play against your opponent when you play as an offensive player and he plays as a defensive player all the time and can handle everything you do? Wow. So if you can handle everything you can do, the simple solution is you need to get better if you're trying to beat him. But if you start to think tactically about what, uh, what you're trying to do against a defensive player. So the first thing is you don't want them to be comfortable sitting back and doing this and just being defensive the whole time. You want to make them um, come in closer to the table because the defensive player doesn't like being close to the table. And then that's your opportunity to attack um, a little bit stronger. So that's a good first basic tactic. The second um, important thing when you're attacking against a defender is really exploit their middle area. Um, Again, defensive players out here and out there 
are usually good because that's where the arc of their stroke is. Whereas in here, it becomes really difficult. So we're thinking about aiming for their armpit. So if they're right-hander, aim for their right armpit. So there are a couple of things that you can think about uh, when playing a against a defender. Um, in our match strategy lessons, we've also got um, a whole lesson on um, tactics against uh, a defensive player. So um, for our premium members, you can jump on and have a look through that and we'll go through quite a few um, ideas there for you for playing against a defender. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Invincible, for joining the show. Great questions. And that wraps up show 221. Again, thank you, everyone, for watching. Get onto our Facebook page. Get us up to 10,000 likes, please. <laughs> um, and thank you, as always, Alloys, for your words of wisdom. Yep. Thank you, Jeffrey, And thank you for enlightening us this morning about Monty Hall. <laughs> You're most welcome. See you, everyone, tomorrow. Bye.